and welcome back into Y'all Talk with an Accent on all things Southern. John Raw, the general of all things Southern, here with you on what feels like a second day of the work week because, well, for a lot of you, including myself, it kind of sort of is, but it is officially Wednesday, middle of the week, y'all. <laughs> welcome in to our program that covers everything Southern. We've got a good dose of Dixie headed your way on this Wednesday edition. we got lots of news headlines coming in from across not only the country, but specifically the Southeast. We'll share all that here, most of which we'll get to in the first hour. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the Proud Boys and how a fellow from there just got sentenced to more than 20 years in prison. I don't understand what's going on. In fact, in hour two today, we're going to take a deep dive into this whole Proud Boys thing because I was watching a clip of Jonathan Turley being interviewed, I think maybe on Fox, maybe maybe Newsmax. I'm not sure. I am not totally sure. But you probably remember the name Jonathan Turley. He's a lawyer that's often interviewed on a lot of these conservative news channels. He represented, he represented Trump in the impeachment trial, but he's not necessarily a Trump guy. Attorney teaches at George Washington's School of Law there in the D.C. area. But watching a clip of him in the last day, he invoked something that I had never heard of about this whole 14th Amendment controversy that's going on, how some people are saying that they're going to invoke the 14th Amendment to keep Trump off the, off the ballot, and he won't even be able to run because he won't be on the ballot. And he mentioned in an interview something about the vice president of the Confederacy was the reason behind this 14th Amendment. And that would be Alexander Stevens. So I'm going to tell you about Alexander Stevens of Georgia and what in the world led him to influence the creation of the 14th Amendment after the Civil War. That's coming up here on today's Y'all Show. So a little little Southern history from Alex Stevens. All that is coming up in our news headlines today. Plus, also in our news headlines across the Southeast as we scan Dixie each and every day, I've got some information coming in. From the state of Tennessee, how about Dolly Parton? She has just congratulated the Franklin Rebels. I guess that's still their name. If not, they ought to be the Franklin Rebels. Franklin High School in Franklin, Tennessee, their marching band has been congratulated by Dolly Parton. Why? I'll tell you. Plus, we've got Alec Murdoch, the guy from South Carolina that was convicted of killing his wife and son. We've got some news about that coming up in our headlines across the southeast. So we go from Dolly to Alec. <laughs> now, and I'm not even saying his first name right. It's not Alec. It, it's it, His name is A-L-E-X. But it's not pronounced Alec. It's pronounced Alec, like smart Alec. And he is a smart Alec. And he's, and, and he's in jail right now in South Carolina. We'll tell you about Murdoch and a development in that case. Plus, we'll also tell you today about one state, not Mississippi this time, there's a state here in the United States that's probably going to redesign their state flag. And it's not a southern state, but since we like talking about flags in this part of the world, I'm going to tell you about the latest state to fall victim of political correctness. We'll tell you about that coming up. Plus, Mark Meadows, he has pleaded not guilty 
All that information coming up in today's Y'all Show news headlines. Plus, we have our sports info that we got to pass along your way before we wrapped up our Tuesday show. We could not pass along the top 25 of college football. We have that in our hand now. And today in our sports wrap-up of the Southeast, we're going to tell you about the Duke Blue Devils entering the top 25. Way to go, Devils. And you do that when you knock off the Clemson Tigers on national TV, as Duke did on Monday. What a job there by the Dukies. We've got info on them. Alabama moves up in the poll, and teams like Clemson go way, 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 way on down. All that is coming up in our coverage of Sports Plus. We've got just another one, just one day away from the start of the NFL season. And I'll tell you a little bit more about Detroit at Kansas City, the NFL opener for 2023. That's going down thursday in kcmo that's headed your way as part of our southern sports coverage and tennis anyone well right now at arthur ash stadium in the new york city area the u.s open is going on and there is a connection to alabama with this newcomer that's getting a lot of buzz 20 year old ben shelton has made it into the semifinals of the u.s open on the men's side and we'll tell you a little bit about this newcomer. And he's going to be going up against, I think, another American in the semifinals. So we'll have plenty of tennis talk on today's Y'all Show with a Southern Connection. Of course, of course. All that's headed your way in hour number one. Also here in this first hour of our Wednesday Y'all Show in hour number one, we've got hashtag hullabaloo. And I was telling you about Jonathan Turley earlier. You may see him if you watch cable TV. He's often interviewed. Well, a name that has just started popping up on some of the news channels is Amy Lee Copeland. And in our hashtag hullabaloo today, we're going to learn about this attorney out of the Savannah, Georgia area. And she's now a, a favorite, if you will, of some of the talking head shows. And she's a former U.S. attorney. A prosecutor, I think, with the U.S. Attorney's Office. And she is now a darling of media. And we'll let you know more about Amy Lee Copeland, the Georgia attorney, as her name pops up as part of our hashtag Hullabaloo report. And it's coming up here in this first hour. Coming up in our second hour of today's Y'all Show, in addition to the news and sports headlines, we've got our Southern Business Spotlight. And we're going to do something a little bit different today. Did you realize coming up Sunday, September 10th, it's Grandparents Day. Happy Grandparents Day to all y'all. And in honor of grandparents, we've got some business-related information to pass along. Primarily, how much do grandparents spend, on average, on their grandchildren? Hmm. I got to really think about how much my grandparents... My, my grandmother, God bless her. I've got, I, had, I had two great-grandparents, two great... Two great, comma grandmothers but one i live really close to and i bet you you can likely recall a story if you've lost your grandparents like i have i don't have any surviving grandparents but my the one that was right up the road from my house she always kept in her refrigerator bottled coca-colas the little you know hand i think they're only like eight ounces little glass coca-cola bottles and so every time I'd run up there to see Ma. I'd get me a Coca-Cola. And so, yeah, that, that probably adds up. Even back in the whatever year that was, she was buying those things for her grandchildren. But I'm 
probably the only grandchild that consistently <laughs> went up there to see her and uh part of that reason was she had those ice cold coca-colas in the refrigerator but also i love being with her of course uh that adds up that's expensive and so i bet you if you're a grandparent you have something hidden away for your little grandchildren and if you pull out the calculator you start adding it up hmm are you above above or below the national average for expenditures on your grandkids we'll tell you about that as part of our southern business spotlight grandparent style and we also have coming in a brand new survey of the most popular grandparent names of the southeast we've got them for each southern state and this comes to us from a website called preply.com so perhaps you're a papa perhaps you're a um well i called mine ma i don't think that's on there but uh mama or mimi or nana or grandmother all those names we're going to tell you what the most popular names for each of our southern states is for grandparents and that's coming up in hour number two today hour number three it's going to be awesome we've got a southern history spotlight a lot of birthdays to tell you about here on this wednesday and we've got some great southern things that happened on this date in history including in that is a little bit of information on general marquis de lafayette you could call him lafayette you can call him lafayette you can call him lafayette who the heck was this frenchman and why do we have street names and city names and county names after this guy here in the southeast i'll tell you about him and who was the oldest confederate general in the civil war well he was born on this date i'll tell you all about him as as well as other big events that happened on this date in history as part of our southern history spotlight in hour three plus before we get out of here today football time has arrived and in honor of college football and the nfl kicking off thursday we've got courtesy of bleacher report they do a great job with all their sports coverage bleacher report has got an article of the top 10 best tailgating foods ever i mean ever (laughs) and we're going to go through some of that as we wrap up our show today so get your palate cleansed for some good tailgating food talk coming up in our final hour if you want to be part of y'all talk with an accent on the south we want to hear from you our way to find you and your way to get in touch with us here is to email us that's probably the easiest way because that way we can get it and it comes look when i'm not doing the show which i don't sadly do the show 21 of the 24 hours of the day so if you want to reach me during those other 21 hours i'm not here you can always email me and i can i can see it during the show after the show in the middle of the night i'll get an alert and i want to i want to see your email so i'll get that email alert at four in the morning or one o'clock in the morning or when i'm closing the bars down at uh, 6 p.m. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll get an alert. All you gotta do is drop me an email. Mail, M A I L, mail at yall.com. Mail at y'all.com. That is a very, very simple but surefire way for you to get in touch with us here at the Y'all Show. You can also send us a text. We've got text lines open here for you 615 208 4184. Another 24 hour day, seven day a week way for you to get us in fact i've got a little text that has just come in from a texter in reference to me talking about this being the birthday of that french guy who became a 
Continental Soldier in the American Revolution, and we've got a lot of stuff named after this fella. Texter here in the reference to that general, whose name is spelled L-A-F-A-Y-E-T-T-E. It's okay. That, that, that's how you spell his name. The way you pronounce it, according to this texter, is laugh at Lafayette. Lafayette. Laugh I-E-T-T-E. Laugh Iet. And then with a big emoji of a <laughs> a crawfish, it looks like the texter says I-E. So I-E on that. That, that is definitely how you're going to pronounce that word down in Louisiana, for sure. It's Lafayette. But in other portions of the South, and I first found out about this word when I went to college, I had a buddy of mine in college who was from the Dalton, Georgia area, northwest Georgia. And there is a town in northwest Georgia that is spelled L-A-F-A-Y-E-T-T-E. But guess what? In Georgia, it's L-A space F-A-Y-E-T-T-E. Lafayette. And that's how he pronounced that word, Lafayette. Lafayette, not Lafayette. And that was my first introduction of that word because growing up on the eastern seaboard, the name Lafayette, for whatever reason, isn't commonly used. But in other southern states, it's it's a pretty common word for street names and county names and city names and more. And I had to learn that when I when I went to meet that guy from actually he wasn't even from Lafayette. He was from Rocky Face, Georgia. I still remember that. Over thirty years ago when we got to be buds in college and you know what? I haven't seen and I haven't talked to that guy since college. So where are you? Where are you? We got a reunion coming up, by the way, later in the fall. And he better be there since it's been a few decades but yeah he introduced me to a different way to pronounce that word and having been a resident of Lafayette County in the past and also living on Lafayette and working on Lafayette I'm very familiar with uh, this word so we're going we're to tell you about the general coming up sorry I appreciate the text for you sending that in today and again it's really darn easy for you to text to y'all show anytime in fact we have the text, we have the email, and we have the podcast edition of the Y'all Show. i got to remind myself to tell you about that because you can listen and participate with this show 24-7, just like you can contact us by catching the Y'all Show podcast. We're on Spotify, iHeartRadio. We're on the TuneIn app. We're also available in Apple Podcasts, Apple iTunes, and if all that fails, you can go to the website y'all.com that's y-a-l-l.com and find us we're we got our own little tab there at y'all.com and it is just really easy to to find out about what's going on let's get through some news headlines we got a lot of news going on so we better get on it we better get on it y'all so first off let me tell you about another tropical storm it looks like that's coming to america tropical storm lee It's in the waters of the Atlantic, and it is expected to become a hurricane within hours. The storm, as of early today, located about 1,200 miles east-southeast of the northern Leeward Islands. And according to the National Hurricane Center, it has maximum sustained winds of 65 miles per hour. 
Now, currently, it's not forecast to make landfall, but it is projected to pass just northeast of the British Virgin Islands, the BVI, and could come into play for the eastern seaboard of the south before the weekend or or somewhere along that timeline. Lee is now the 12th named storm of the Atlantic hurricane season. And again, this is a potential hurricane for the southeast Hurricane Lee, or potential Hurricane Lee, right now considered a tropical storm as it's strengthening, churning in the Atlantic toward the Caribbean at the current time. We will definitely keep our eye on this story going forward. A story out of Washington, D.C. from Tuesday. A Proud Boys guy, Enrique Torrio, has gotten 22 years in prison for seditious conspiracy related to January 6th. Now, this guy was not even in Washington, D.C. when January 6th went down. And the 39-year-old is now going to jail with this sentence for 22 years. Oath Keepers founder Stuart Rhodes got an 18-year sentence. This guy got more than that. And he wasn't even in Washington, D.C., And this Proud Boys group considered a neo-fascist group. Let's be honest. Had you ever heard of this group prior to January 6th or maybe the year or two before that? I I had never heard. And I tried to stay up on the news. Maybe this is in the dark corners of the Internet, and that's why I hadn't heard of it. But this group came out of nowhere. And here you got a guy going to jail for more than two decades. U.S. District Judge Timothy Kelly sentenced the man, and he said that the man, Torrio, was motivated by revolutionary zeal to lead the conspiracy and that 200 men amped up for battle and circled the Capitol. Look, they shouldn't have been there. They did wrong. But 22 years for seditious conspiracy when there are people who kill people and they don't even go to jail for more than 10 years? Something is completely out of whack, in my opinion. When we have our news headlines in the second hour today, I've got a connection between this guy and the January 6th Proud Boys sentencing and stuff going on. Is They're using the 14th Amendment for conspiracy to, to hurt these people as well as keep Trump off the ballot. Alexander Stevens was the vice president of the Confederacy. I've got some info about how Alexander Stevens of Georgia helped lead to the creation of this 14th Amendment citation going on right now to keep Trump off the ballot. That's coming up in hour two. Let's move on to the Commonwealth of Kentucky. The governor of Kentucky, Andy Bashir, is now linking the Republican challenger that he has for governor to the reality of an abortion law in this election campaign that's going on. He's trying to get reelected, and his opponent there, who is currently the Republican Attorney General of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, Daniel Cameron, he's linking him as there is an attack coming out as this ad that Bashir's citing attacks Daniel Cameron for supporting Bashir. The, the Bashir is pushing his opposition to Kentucky's abortion ban to the forefront by linking Daniel Cameron to an extreme scenario of the strict law and that strict law would mean requiring young victims of rape or incest to carry the pregnancies 
to term. And Bashir with a TV ad now linking Cameron to that thought. It's getting ugly in Kentucky here two months before they go to the polls to vote for a new governor or a re-election if indeed Bashir is re-elected. I'll tell you what, when you get down and dirty with abortion ads, that usually doesn't help out the Republican for sure. And I would have to put my money on a re-election even though Kentucky is a very red state. They will find a way to use that abortion. It looks like abortion is going to be the main driver of people to the polls in the Commonwealth in 2023. Based on this ad that has come out that Bashir has put out against Daniel Cameron. Also political news out of the state of Kentucky. So U.S. Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky is your U.S. Senate minority leader. And he's had these health episodes of recent. On Tuesday, he was back on the Senate floor, gave a statement. But during his statement to his fellow Senate members, McConnell left questions out about the apparent freeze-ups that's been giving him a lot of headlines. The 81-year-old senior senator from Kentucky has had a lot of questions about his physical capability of being a senator in 2023. According to a statement out of McConnell's office, attending physician Brian P. Monahan looked over the Republican leader's health and according to the statement, he seems to be fine. The statement from the doctor, the attending physician, essentially gives McConnell the green light to keep serving. And that was a little surprising to me that this came out. It was last week in Covington, Kentucky, that the U.S. Senator absolutely had a brain freeze. And for about 30 seconds there, he just looked there like a deer in the headlights to the people in the audience asking him questions. And an aide had to come to help McConnell out, and he was ushered off the podium. And that was what happened last week. Now it looks like McConnell is at least got some kind of reinforcement that he's okay. Is he? Is he really? We'll find out. At least he's back on the Senate floor, and that's where he was on Tuesday. A story out of the state of Georgia. A federal judge Tuesday allowed Georgia to resume enforcing a ban on hormone replacement therapy for transgender people under the age of 18. Judge Sarah Garrigy put her previous order blocking the ban on hold after a federal appeals court allowed Alabama to enforce a similar restriction. So that's news from Georgia from the replacement therapy stories of the day. Also, a judge has rejected Alabama's new congressional district proposal as it has been an order from the U.S. Supreme Court to, hey, Alabama, y'all need to come up with a second black majority district in your state. Alabama currently has seven congressional districts allotted to it. And a three-judge federal court said that Alabama had to have more than one majority black district out of the seven that it has. Alabama's black population is 27%. And so Alabama legislators redrew a map, and it's not good enough. As the U.S. Supreme Court has already upheld this three-judge panel's decision to 
put it back to Alabama and say, y'all need to come up with a better map. You need to have two of seven congressmen be minorities because you're going to have two of seven majority-minority districts in the heart of Dixie. More to come on that story out of the state of Alabama. Also, a story from South Carolina, Alec Murdoch. He is seeking a new trial as he's alleging jury tampering coming from a person there in Colleton County. That was the county where his case was tried back in March. And he's alleging, his lawyer's alleging, that Colleton County, South Carolina court clerk Rebecca Hill, she affected his trial. She has just written a memoir, Behind the Doors of Justice, The Murdoch Murders. That came out August 1st. And now, lawyers for Murdoch are requesting a new trial in a motion filed in Columbia, the state capital. And in this motion, it alleges that the court clerk, Miss Hill, tampered with jurors so she could secure this book deal. That's a pretty bold statement from the defense counsel. But Murdoch's got some great lawyers. Harpootlian is one of them. And then that other guy that was part of that case there did a good job too. I forgot his name, but I won't forget Dick Harpootlian for sure. I think the other guy's name is Jim. Maybe Jim Griffin? I think that's right. Anyway, more to come on this developing story from South Carolina. Also, Mark Meadows and five others on Tuesday, they pled not guilty in the Georgia election interference case. Meadows and the others face RICO charges in Fulton County in the election interference case of Donald Trump. More to come there. And that is a look at some of the news headlines for this opening hour. Coming up in hour two, we've got some Dolly Parton news out of Franklin. She's a Williamson County, Tennessee resident, and she's got a nice message for her fellow Williamson County residents. Thanks to Franklin High School there in Williamson County, Tennessee. We will share that information as we continue on. And before the hour is up, y'all, we got hashtag hullabaloo. And since we've been talking a lot about lawyers, and you know what, y'all? Let me just proudly tell you, I am not a lawyer. I am not a lawyer. But we've got a lot of lawyers on our on our discussion of what's going on across the South today. And I'm going to tell you about a rising star from the legal field in the state of Georgia. That's part of our hashtag, I believe. We'll get to that, and we'll do that later. But up first in this hour, when we take this commercial break, we're going to come back with a Southern sports report. The top 25 of college football just came out Tuesday. I'll give you the highlights when we come right back. Seminole, oh, blow, blow, Seminole, and blow like you're never gonna blow again. I'm calling to 
across our home of the Seminole Alligators in the dark Oh, tell them about it, John. That's coming from another John. That would be Mr. John Rawl talking about Mr. John Anderson here. We're back on the Y'all Show, and Seminole Win is a good way for us to introduce our Southern Sports Report today because we're going to be talking about the Knowles of Florida State University, FSU, after that big win on the Sunday evening of Labor Day weekend. They've moved up in the AEP poll, and they should because they demolished those Bayou Bengals they were great. Mike Elko's Duke Blue Devils were awesome as they knocked off Clemson on Labor Day evening. And what a great, great performance by FSU, Duke, and Colorado. And we've got the first true AP Top 25 college football poll of 2023 now that games have been played. And let me tell you about teams that are in this thing like Duke for the first time in a while. Duke comes in in this AP Top 25 college football poll at number 21, Colorado and Prime checking in at number 22 in the new AP poll. Clemson drops all the way back to number 25 from their top 10 perch to start the season. Dabo, I think he's out saying that what happened in that game against Duke was just the weirdest game he's ever been a part of. Well, you got your, you got your butt stomped there, Mr. Sweeney. And you got beat by a very good Mike Elko coach, Duke Blue Devil team, and you're lucky to be in the top 25. So take that, Tigers. All right. Elsewhere in the top 25, Lane Kiffin and his Mississippi Landshark Black Bear Rebels. They've moved into the top 20 after they just demolished the SoCon's Mercer Bears at Vault Hemingway. Number 20 is where Mississippi finds itself in the top 25 poll. Oklahoma, hey, Venables and company might have turned it around here so far. Of course, if you saw their game against Arkansas State, that was an embarrassment for college football. The old Tennessee coach, Mr. Butch, got uh, Butch Butch slapped. Let's just say it like that. As Arkansas State didn't even score a point, and Oklahoma killed him. <laughs> it was ugly there in Norman. Number 18 is where Oklahoma finds itself. How about Mac Brown and the Tar Heels? What a great job in the second half in Charlotte as they, with ease, beat Shane Beamer's Gamecocks. They had they had a great environment in Charlotte. I, I got to give the city of Charlotte a lot of credit for hosting that game between North Carolina and South Carolina. It was really the best matchup going into it of the weekend. And the Queen City looked awesome. And when you've got... Um, the celebrities showing up like you had on the ESPN crew. They had college game day there. Darius Rucker said that the Gamecocks would win by 90 in that one against North Carolina Saturday. You know what, uh, Darius, you might want to stick to making music because you're not very good at picks. It was North Carolina winning not by 90, but by 14. So, uh, yeah, Hootie, you need to get the hoot out of Charlotte and the Carolinas, evidently. You don't know What's going on with your alma mater, the University of South Carolina? It, it appears. But, uh, yeah, how about Eric Church also there in Charlotte for that game? He was on the sidelines of UNC sporting a UNC jersey. I think he was wearing the jersey of a player for UNC who couldn't play, was ruled ineligible. And so that was kind of neat for him to be wearing that on the sidelines. And Eric Church, 
the cool guy himself helping his favorite college football team and college basketball team pick up the big dub against South Carolina. Elsewhere in the top 25 of college football, worth noting, LSU drops down to number 14 after they got shellacked in Orlando by FSU. Number 11 in the poll is the Texas Longhorns. Texas has a big road trip this week to Tuscaloosa where they'll take on the Crimson Tide at Bryant-Denny Stadium. But Sarkeesian's horns moving in this week at number 11. Notre Dame's at number 10. They got a road trip to, I think, Carter-Finley this weekend taking on NC State. The Tennessee Vols, they find themselves at number 9, a very respectable win for UT in Nashville as they knocked off Virginia on the Saturday of the opening weekend. Also in the top 10, if you look at the poll, the top five includes Ohio State at number five. Those FSU Seminoles that I was just bragging about, they are at number four. They got three first-place votes, by the way, in this new AP Top 25 poll. Bama checks in at number three. Number two is the Jim Harbaugh not-coached Michigan Wolverines. Harbaugh's on a little bit of a suspension right now, but... uh, the Maze and Blue are number two in the poll. And Georgia, after beating the heck out of UT Martin, but it took a while for them to beat the Skyhawks. Georgia, the Dogs, and Kirby Smart, number one in the country. No surprise there. But that is your top 25 of college football that was released on Tuesday. A reminder, the NFL season begins on Thursday, just hours from now. NBC is the network you can tune in, where at 8.20 Eastern, 7.20 Central, It is the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champs, hosting the Detroit Lions from Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City, Missouri. So NFL football is here, y'all. We also have the U.S. Open going on. And on the men's side, newcomer Ben Shelton has moved into the U.S. Open semifinals as he beat out American Francis Tiafo to get into the U.S. Open semifinals. And this is his first time into a semifinal of a major And this guy has a connection to Alabama. Ben Shelton's father is from Huntsville, Alabama. And Shelton, the 20-year-old son of Huntsville native Brian Shelton, and playing for Randolph School, Brian Shelton won the Alabama High School Athletic Association Boys Tennis Singles Championships back in 1982. So got a little tennis in his blood. I don't know what happened to Brian Shelton. I guess, uh, okay, Shelton went on to win the ACC Men's Singles Championship at Georgia Tech and played professionally. So, Brian Shelton went on to Georgia Tech and played a little pro ball, pro tennis, if that's the way you want to say it. But his son, Ben, now doing good on the tennis courts of the world. And how about that? In fact, Brian Shelton, okay, what happened to him? After his pro playing career, the Alabama native went on to be a tennis coach, and he coached at his alma mater, Georgia Tech as he guided Georgia Tech and its women's team to an NCAA championship back in 2007. So I guess Ben Shelton must have grown up in the Atlanta area with his daddy being from the Rocket City of Huntsville, Alabama. Again, Ben Shelton moving into the semifinals of the U.S. Open Tennis Tournament on the men's side. His challenger Friday when he gets out there is going to be Djokovic, and that's going to be a tough, tough battle taking on Novak Djokovic on Friday for a berth in the U.S. Open Finals. By the way, at 20 years old, he is the first tennis player from the men's side 
to get into the semifinals at the age of 20 since Michael Chang did it some years ago. A quick look at the women's side, if I can pull that up real quick before our break. As far as the women's side of the U.S. Open, I haven't heard much about that. I know Coco Golf, who has a connection to the South as well, she has moved into the semifinals, I believe, of the women's. I'm not, I'm not seeing that right now, but uh, we'll keep you updated, certainly, on who wins the U.S. Open. Is they're winding that thing down there, just outside of Manhattan, near City Field, where the Mets plays, where this is going down right now. So, uh, Grand Slam time, y'all in the world of tennis. And that wraps up our sports headlines for this Wednesday first hour. When we come back, we're going to wrap up this first hour in its entirety with a little hashtag, a little fun, talking about a Georgia-based attorney, Amy Lee Copeland, that and other news of the Southland from the world of social media. That is coming right up. Trying to steal my heart And I'm tempted Even though she could tear it apart I'm tempted In her eyes there's mystery Every time she smiles at me I know how it could be And I'm tempted uh, Tell them about it, son The Philadelphia Kid, Marty Stewart we're back here wrapping up this first hour of the Y'all Show. Philadelphia, Mississippi, by the way, not only is it the hometown of one Marty Stewart, also from a musical standpoint, it's the home of Hardy, the guy that's got a lot of country music, songwriting, and production credits to his name, and even has some songs that have been hits for himself. He's out of Neshoba County in Mississippi, but uh, Marty Stewart with that one from back in the 1990s, love that sound of tempted we're gonna wrap this hour one of the y'all show wednesday edition up with a little hashtag hullabaloo and hal corley is on x halcyon 270 is his x account and he has a post if you will that has caught our attention here at the y'all show welcome new go-to for jurisprudence on msnbc the cool mrs copeland not only a savvy legal scholar with a cogent frame on unfolding history, but I'm Atlanta-born, a refreshing Southerner who doesn't drip cultural cliches. So what Hal Corley is referencing is this new talking head that's showing up on networks like MSNBC. I think I have seen Mrs. Copeland also on CNN, which makes sense since CNN has a big Atlanta presence. But Amy Lee Copeland is a criminal defense attorney based in the Peach State. I think she's based out of the Savannah area. And a little bit more about her in case you happen to catch her on some of these shows where she's talking a lot. She's being interviewed a lot right now because of this Fannie Willis case out of Atlanta against Donald Trump and the other 18. So she's very knowledgeable on the laws of Georgia. And Amy Lee Copeland is with the law firm Rouse Copeland LLC. 
She specializes in appellate litigation and in federal criminal defense representation. She's been named by Georgia Trend Magazine as one of Georgia's legal elite for her appellate work and criminal defense representation. Her law partner is her husband, Chris Rouse, and they have together a wide range of experience in civil issues ranging from personal injury, medical malpractice, and business and estate litigation. Again, Amy Lee Copeland, and together with her husband, Chris, they have the law firm out of Savannah, Rouse Copeland, LLC. Amy Lee Copeland got her undergrad degree in English from the University of Georgia, graduating in 1992. She started out in 1985, so she was on the six-year plan there at UGA. Uh, No shame in that, you know. Amy, I I was on the four-year plan, and uh, I'm not a lawyer, so kudos to you with that English degree that took you six years to get there at UGA. Hey, if I were at Athens in the 1990s, it would have taken me at least six years. I would have had a good time, for sure. I've had a, I've had many, many, many good times in Athens, Georgia, y'all. I just wasn't in college. Actually, I went there once in college, now that I think of it. Man, what happened? Uh, she also went on to UGA to get her School of Law degree as she got that. Okay, now I feel bad. It looks like she got her law degree in 1992, so her bio is kind of messed up. She got her law degree in 1992, so she wasn't on the six-year plan. She was when she adds up both her undergraduate and her law degree. Shame on me. I am so sorry, Counselor Amy Lee Copeland. Don't sue me. Don't take me and put me with the other 19 people that are being charged right now in Georgia. But that is from social media. Thanks to Hal Corley for giving us a heads up on the rising attorney that you will see often now interviewed on television amy lee copeland savvy savvy lady and very knowledgeable on georgia law specifically thank you hal for bringing that to our attention that wraps up our first hour of talking about the south coming up in hour two we've got speaking of georgia information on former georgia governor alexander stevens he also had another title in his lifetime And he's part of this whole 14th Amendment drama that's going on. We'll have all that coming right up. here for hour two of our fun that we have it's called the y'all show we call that for a reason it's powered powered by y'all.com the south's homepage. we're southern we have no apologies about being southern and we hope you have the same mindset and here at the y'all show we cover the news the sports the happenings the travel the the goings on if you will of the 16 southern states alabama arkansas florida georgia kentucky louisiana maryland mississippi missouri north carolina oklahoma south carolina tennessee Texas, Virginia, West Virginia. I got them all. I got them all. You can go back and rewind the tape if you don't think I can just rattle them off like I just did. 
I am the Spencer Rattler of Southern Conversation. Yeah, that's me. And glad that you could join us here. If you've got a little south in your mouth, and this is the show that is going to be the only show like this out there. And if you are a Southerner at heart, come on in. We're going to have a good time. And if you're a Southerner, if you're a Southern hater, well, listen to this show, dadgummit, and we're going to change your mind. We're going to make you feel like you're just a good old boy or a good old girl by tuning in to y'all show each and every day. And you can find us on awesome radio stations. You can also find us in podcast form as we're available on iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, on the, let's see, Apple Podcast and Apple iTunes. And we're at y'all.com, the South's homepage. Those are all of the neat ways that you can catch up with what's going on in Dixie on this Wednesday. And hope you all are doing well. Coming up in this hour of the Y'all Show, we've got more headlines, including we've got audio from Dolly Parton. Dolly's in the news. Why? I'll tell you. Coming up in just a few minutes. And, you know, if it's Dolly, it's usually going to be positive news. And she's got some great news coming from her native county of where she's been living since she moved to Nashville, at least as far as I know. I think Dolly's lived in Williamson County for a long, long time. We've got info on Miss Dolly and other headlines of the Southeast that we'll get to, including a tropical storm that's just popped up in the Atlantic Ocean that's headed perhaps to the southeast. Lee, Lee, Lee. Lee, 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 Lee. That's the name of this storm, Lee, by the way. We will tell you about that and its projections and more in our headlines in a second. We also have a quick southern sports update that we will get to, including a connection to the south with the U.S. Open, the tennis tournament going on right now that's wrapping up here over the weekend. We've got that. And before the hour's up, we're going to be talking about grandparents. Happy Grandparents Day. That's this Sunday. If you haven't got your gift for your grandparent yet, you better get on it. You better hurry up. Sadly, I don't have any grandparents. That's probably the case for a lot of you out there. But uh, if you have a grandparent out there, you better get them something. Just something small. That's 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 fine. It's the thought that counts. And we got Grandparents Day coming up. And in honor of our nanas and papas and our mimis and our gagas and our other whatever names you want to call them, in honor of grandparents, we've got our Southern Business Report coming up before this hour wraps up. And I've got some statistical information, some financial statistical info regarding the money that grandparents spend on those little ones. And that's going to be coming up in our Southern Business Report. Plus, we've got courtesy of a website that kind of monitors grandparents in a big way. The website is called preply.com and they've got an article up, the most popular grandparent names in each state. And I'm going to walk through those 16 southern states and tell you which of the grandparent names is most popular for both the the male and the female grandparent. So yeah, we got you covered here. And we're going to be doing all that in this second hour, in the third hour of today's Y'all Show, you hang on because we've got, in addition to the news headlines, a lot of Southern history. We're going to be telling you all about General Marquis de Lafayette, Lafayette Lafayette. His birthday is today. The French soldier who helped out in the American Revolution. We'll discuss him. We've got some other Southerners of note. Mark Chestnut, country music great, with a birthday today. Oh, we got it covered it's part of our Southern History Spotlight in hour number three. Plus, we've got the Southern Recipe of the Day, 
as football is back we've got courtesy of bleacherreport.com the 10 best tailgating foods ever i mean ever and that's coming up in our final hour of the y'all show if you want to reach out to us our text line open 24 hours a day 615-208-4184 our email address here at the y'all show is mail mail at y'all.com let's dive into the news headlines here across the southeast here on this wednesday edition and as i said lee 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 is the word of the day and that's because tropical storm lee l-e-e not getting cute here today not l-e-i-g-h or l-e-a however people might spell it nope the good old robert e lee variety tropical storm lee is now forecast to strengthen into a hurricane as it churns in the atlantic toward the caribbean as it's churning in the waters near the leeward islands uh it's 1200 miles from the leeward islands but it's out there in the atlantic with maximum sustained winds of 65 miles per hour moving west northwest according to the national hurricane center and now forecasters paying close attention this is expected again to turn into a hurricane with its path and with its storms and more and now following adalia from last week we've got another atlantic hurricane that's popped up and it'll be dominating news headlines for the next few days now on tuesday proud boys member enrique torrio was sentenced to 22 years in prison for his seditious conspiracy of january 6th this guy was not even at the capitol he was not even in washington dc when january 6 2021 happened and the 39 year old who pleaded for leniency before the judge and i i heard some of this i mean that guy was begging for redemption from the judge and they put the hammer on him prosecution was looking for 30 years they gave him 22 years for a guy who was not even there on january 6 and fellow oath keepers founder Stuart rhodes was sentenced to 18 years unbelievable what's been happening with this january 6 thing and i'm not saying these people need to get off without any sentencing but the way they've been treated and the way every one of these january 6 people have been treated the last two years is un-american and you could say well it was un-american for them to incite a riot yeah they, they they may they may have started a riot absolutely but were they trying to overthrow the United States government? I don't see how they could. They didn't even have guns, for God's sakes. They have guns. They, they, in some cases, the door was open for them to come into the Capitol. I mean, it was a big mess. And these people should be punished to some degree. But more than two decades of a sentence? you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. It's, that, that's what's going on. And, of course, some of these people are using actions of the oath keepers to go after president donald trump and i still don't think there's a smoking gun that connects trump to people like the oath keepers to say that trump ordered them to go into the capitol now if that happened that'd be a whole whole big problem and that would be maybe a a opportunity for a the the problem that trump's got right now not just trying to get a riot but literally trying to overthrow the government but nobody, to my knowledge, has come out with that proof. And the Proud Boys 
are being taken down by the federal government without question and being sentenced to decades in jail. And President Trump with over 91 charges against him right now, some of which had nothing to do with January 6th, but, but aren't they kind of all tied in in a lot of ways? Maybe, just maybe. Now, I was watching television Tuesday evening, and Jonathan Turley was being interviewed. He's the George Washington University professor of law that is a very frequent guest on television shows. He actually helped with one of Trump's impeachment trials. And he was being interviewed, and he was talking about the 14th Amendment. Now, that's the big talk of the day for constitutional scholars. Are they going to use the 14th Amendment to keep Donald Trump off the ballots of the country in Democratic-run states? Are the attorney generals of these various states going to creatively come up with a way to incite, <laughs> to invoke the incitement, and that's a way to keep him off the ballot in 2024? That's truly being talked about in, in circles right now. And Adam Schiff, for example, I, I heard a clip he was talking about this on Tuesday. And so they're getting the nudge from Congress, hey, y'all y'all need to be doing this. We gotta keep Trump out of here no matter what it takes. And that talk is is growing. Fourteenth Amendment, a post Civil War United States amendment to the Constitution. And it has to do with elected officials not being able to be elected if they incited a riot, if they incited something against the government, trying to overthrow the government going back to the Civil War era. And Jonathan Turley, in that interview, mentioned that this whole thing of the 14th Amendment was created because of the vice president of the Confederacy. And I know who that is. That's Alexander Stevens of Georgia. And so I had to look this up on Alexander Stevens's bio. After the Civil War, this guy who was the vice presidency, vice president of the Confederate States of America this awful, supposed awful country that wasn't supposed to be a country that was formed from secession in 1861 by, well, technically 1860 by South Carolina, but the rest of the states followed suit in the 1861 timeline. This awful experiment that went wrong with the Civil War and the Confederacy seceded and then had to come back and join the United States in 1866, one year after the Confederacy's capitulation, George's Alexander Stevens, the guy who had been Jefferson Davis's vice president, he was elected to the United States Senate, but was not allowed to take his seat because of restrictions on former Confederates. And in his view, secession was legal and the attacks from the North were aggressive. That's what he felt like. And the thrust of his legal argument was rejected by the Supreme Court in the 1869 case, Texas versus White, which ruled secession to be unconstitutional. So it wasn't until after the Civil War that it was deemed to be unconstitutional, but they had a war in 1861 to 1865 of which that question was not answered. So at the time of the Civil War, secession would have been constitutional. 
states had the right to secede. I still think they have the right to secede today. I mean, we live in a world where you can just put your hands up and leave from a marriage or a business or anything else. Why can't a state leave if they wanted to leave the United States? Seems like a perfectly acceptable argument. States willingly join. They should be willingly allowed to leave if they chose to do so. In 1873, Alexander Stevens was elected to the United States House of Representatives as a Democrat from the 8th District of Georgia. And in that case, he went on and served. So, look, when people tell you that former Confederates didn't serve on federal positions after the Civil War, that's just not the case. There are many cases of Confederate officers. In this case, Alexander Stevens was the vice president, for God's sakes. And uh, they went on to serve in Congress, and they served as senators. They were in cabinets. They led armies. That's right. Joe Wheeler of Alabama literally helped lead U.S. forces in the Spanish-American War down in Cuba. Fighting Joe Wheeler. But Alexander Stevens went on and served again as a congressman in the years after the Civil War, the former VP of the CSA and he was a congressman before the Civil War also he was the 50th Georgia governor serving in the 1880s so a very busy guy politically and you know what Alexander Stevens would have been a big time politician you know why he never married I don't think he ever had a, a serious relationship his only relationship was with politics <laughs> and he is out of I've always wanted somebody from this county to correctly pronounce it. I think I know how to pronounce it. It's spelled T-A-L-I-F-E-R-R-O. You'd think it would be Talaferro County. That's where his home is located in Georgia. And it's not far from Augusta. But the county of which his hometown of Crawfordville, Georgia, is located is pronounced pretty darn sure I'm right on this the pronunciation of Taliaferro County is not that it's Tolliver County almost like Bolivar but with a T Tolliver County it's an old county got formed in 1825 there in what would have been the original portion of the colony of Georgia but Alexander Stevens some news about him today because again Jonathan Turley invoked his name in an interview I just saw and it proves that even Confederates were allowed to serve in Congress after the Civil War and I don't want to hear any more about this stupid 14th Amendment reason to kick Trump off of ballots that's just pardon the uh, expression asinine and that's that's how I feel about it and I've got the proof Alexander Stevens is the proof that's all you need to know y'all now, back to some more modern-day political talk here on the Y'all Show. So, Mitch McConnell, the Kentucky senator, the Senate minority leader, froze last week while speaking in Covington, Kentucky. Tuesday, he was back on the U.S. Senate floor, and he brought along a doctor's excuse, so to speak. Attending physician Brian P. Monahan spoke about the long-serving Republican leader's health, and essentially, Monahan says that 
There's not a big deal. There's no evidence of a stroke or a seizure disorder from his statement about Mitch McConnell's health. So we still have Mitch McConnell to kick around for a while. It, it appears, unless he keeps having these episodes going on in Washington, D.C. Also in our news headlines across the Southeast today, Mark Meadows, speaking of the 14th Amendment and people getting in trouble for January 6th, on Tuesday, the former North Carolina congressman and former White House chief of staff to President Trump, the North Carolinian, although born in Florida, Mark Meadows and five others pled not guilty to the Georgia election interference case that went down Tuesday. This case brought by Fulton County DA Big Fanny Willis, and they pleaded guilty to not Tuesday. They pleaded not guilty in this election meddling case that Willis has brought forward. Meadows joined a few others, like former Trump campaign attorney John Eastman, former Justice Department official Jeffrey Clark, former Georgia State GOP Chairman David Schaefer, State Senator Sean Steele, and former Coffee County Georgia GOP Chair Kathleen Latham all pleaded not guilty in this RICO case out of Georgia. So far, 18 of the 19 defendants charged in the Fulton County case have entered not guilty pleas. And that includes DJT, if you're keeping score at home. Also in our news headlines today across the southeast, I want to tell you about a great story coming from Williamson County in Tennessee. That is the same county that Dolly Parton lives in. And Dolly Parton is congratulating the Franklin High School Marching Band in Middle Tennessee because the band is playing some of her music. They're playing songs from her album, The Dolly Parton Story, From Rags to Rhinestones. And Dolly has put out a message for the Franklin High School Marching Band in Franklin, Tennessee, USA. And you know what? I've got that audio queued up. So let me let me just not tell you about it. Let me have Dolly speak for herself as she congratulates the Franklin High School, Tennessee Marching Band Kudos to all of you who've been in marching bands across your high school era. And Dolly is not going to let that go unnoticed. Dolly, take it away, girl. Hello, Franklin High School Marching Band. It's me, Dolly Parton. Congratulations on your big show this year, Rags to Rhinestones. And I'm so proud and honored that you're going to be playing my songs. And I hope you have as much fun playing them as I had writing them. And congratulations on your upcoming performance in the St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York City. That is so exciting. And I know that you'll be amazing. So now... Don't you ever forget marching band rules. I should know, because I was in the marching band in high school, too. And look at me now, from rags to rhinestones. You have a great year, and goodbye, everybody. And Dolly Parton, a high school marching band alumni herself, as she would have been in the band there in East Tennessee, where she grew up, not in Middle Tennessee, where she's kind of set her uh, roots down the last couple of decades. And the Franklin High School Band, good luck to you out there. And I'll still call you the Rebels. They evidently have changed their name in recent years to the Admirals. But come on now, Franklin, Tennessee is a rebel town. Ah, Unbelievable, unbelievable that they would change their name there. But they evidently have the Admirals. 
They used to have Colonel Reb and that maroon and white colors of Franklin High School. Oh, my goodness, what's going on in the southeast? But Dolly is congratulating the band, and we will, too. Good luck, F-A-H-S, Martin Band, Middle Tennessee. Yeehaw. All right, that wraps up our news headlines for this this second hour, our middle hour of the Y'all Show. When we come back, a quick sports update, and then before the hour is up, we've got information about grandparents. We've got National Grandparents Day coming up on Sunday. We've got some business information to pass along in terms of grandparenting. That plus the most popular grandparent names in the Southeast. All that ahead, y'all. the year for that one that was not a number one song that dolly parton tune there got to number three stayed there for a few weeks that song don't call it love the prequel to her duet with kenny rogers just a few months after this one hit the chart real love which would be one of dolly and kenny's big songs followed don't call it love but a classic 1980s sound wouldn't you agree for dolly parton since we were just having her on the show a few minutes ago we gotta we gotta put on some Dolly Parton music because she's such a good Southerner, good Tennessee lady. We're back here on the Y'all Show. We're gonna tell you about Tennessee and more in this quick update on Southern sports news of the day. The Vols of Tennessee, among some Southern teams, moving up in the latest college football poll as UT after their win in Nashville. I wonder if Dolly went and saw them play this past weekend. Tennessee is the number nine team in the country in the latest AP Top 25 poll. Tennessee moves up. Florida State moves up after FSU got a big win on Sunday against the LSU Tigers. FSU checks in at number four in the latest college football Top 25 poll. Bama moves up to number three. Georgia remains number one in the country. The Dogs 
have 58 first place votes. Michigan got two first place votes. Florida State actually got three first place votes. But FSU, number four in the latest AP Top 25 poll. Elsewhere in the poll, in the Top 25, Texas comes in at number 11. Texas will be at Alabama this weekend in probably the biggest game in college football this weekend. LSU drops down to number 14 after their thumping in Orlando. You also have the North Carolina Tar Heels moving up to number 17. Great performance by Mac Brown's boys in Charlotte this past weekend. Oklahoma and Brent Venables are at number 18. You have Mississippi and Lane Kiffin coming in at number 20 in the latest AP poll. Duke, after their absolute embarrassment of Clemson, Coach Elko's Devils, number 21 in the latest AP Top 25 poll. Although not a Southern school, how about the Buffaloes of Colorado as they went over to Fort Worth and beat the heck out of, well, they didn't beat the heck out of them, but they found a way to win. They beat TCU on Saturday, and Coach Deion Sanders' Buffaloes are at number 22. First time they've been in the poll in a long time. The Aggies of Texas A&M are at number 23. The Tulane Green Wave, Willie Fritz's ball club, number 24. They've got Mississippi coming into Yulman Stadium for a big SEC AC battle going on this weekend in the Big Easy. And after their beating in Durham, Clemson barely hangs on to a spot, but they are number 25 in the latest college football AP poll. The NFL world gets going on Thursday. Kansas City hosts the Detroit Lions on NBC on a little Thursday night football from GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. And that game kicks off at 8.20 Eastern, 7.20 Central Time. Lions and Kansas City Chiefs. I think we might have a little upset on that one. Maybe those Lions are going to roar. I think they will. They're they're a pretty good football team. They sure are. And this might be the year that Detroit gets into the playoff. We will be here to report on it. That would be a miracle. A miracle, not in Music City, but in Motor City, if that were indeed to happen. And in the world of tennis, the U.S. Open is going on. And one guy with connections to the South, Ben Shelton, His daddy is from Huntsville and was a longtime Georgia Tech player and women's tennis coach Brian Shelton. And now Ben has reached the semifinals of the U.S. Open as he's going to be playing Friday against Djokovic in that round of the U.S. Open. They'll be wrapping that up Saturday and Sunday outside of New York City. And that's a quick Southern sports update for this second hour of the Y'all Show. When we come back on Y'all, it's all about Grandma and Granddaddy and all the other names you might call them. We've got the top grandparent nicknames across the southeast for each of our southern states. We'll tell you about that. Plus, how much does it actually cost to be a grandparent? How much do grandparents provide their grandchildren? I'll tell you about that as part of our Southern Business Report. It's up next. Grandpa, 
Take me back to yesterday When the line between right and wrong Didn't seem so easy Did lovers really fall in love to stay Stand beside each other, come what may Promise really something people can't Not just something they would say Families really bow their heads to pray Daddies really never go away Oh, oh, Grandpa, tell me about the good old days that was a big Grammy winner right there in 1986 for The Judge, Naomi, and Winona. And Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Jamie O'Hara wrote that one. We're back here on The Y'all Show. Going to wrap up this hour of The Y'all Show with talk about Grandpa and Grandma and more. Did y'all realize this coming Sunday, the 10th of September, it's National Grandparents Day. So all of you who have that great title happy grandparent day sunday i don't know how you celebrate do your grandkids take you out to lunch that's kind of hard to do if they're like two and three years old (laughs) but maybe they'll at least pay you attention they'll call you maybe they'll come by and see you maybe they'll cut your grass if you don't have grandparents like i sadly don't and many of us don't have grandparents anymore at least reflect back on your time as being a grandchild about how awesome your grandparents were. Hopefully they were awesome to you. And if you maybe live close enough to them, maybe go by and see their gravesite and put a flower out there or something like that. Just, just take a moment to reflect on the wonderful aspect of being grandparents. And for all you grandparents listening to me right now, congratulations. And if you have a really cool grandparent name, I want to hear about it. Email me at mail at y'all.com real quick. M-A-I-L at y'all.com. And the reason I ask you to do that is because I've got, courtesy of the website preply.com, an article up about the most popular grandparent names across the country. And is your affectionate nickname popular in your state? I'll tell you here in a second, but you better hurry up and get that in to me, mail at y'all.com. So let's talk about grandparents. This is a Southern Business Report to wrap up Hour 2, and we're going to wrap it up with talk about grandparents. Did you realize that nearly, according to the AARP, that nearly all grandparents somehow, some way, contribute to their grandchildren? That is right. They provide money. On average, according to AARP, a study from that organization, grandparents spend each year on grandchildren. Now, I don't know if it's per grandchild, but that is what this survey from AARP. Nearly 94% of the respondents said that they provide some kind of monetary help to their grandkids. And if you add up the average of $2,562 the annual expenditure grandparents have for their grandchildren, that equals $179 billion a year across the United States. The AARP 
survey says that first-time grandparents are in their prime spending years and on average will have four to five grandchildren. And they are spending money on a variety of expenses such as gifts, vacations, education, daily necessities, and more. Gifts are an integral way that grandparents provide for grandchildren as some 86% of the respondents say they buy gifts and they spend about $800 a year on gifts alone. A 75-year-old grandfather from Seattle says he bought his granddaughter her first car and she still uses that car. Good job, Grandpa. Tell me about the good old days. (laughs) And uh, the survey found that one in seven grandparents extend their finances even further by providing for their grandchildren's necessities such as groceries and other day-to-day living expenses. That's pretty amazing. A lot of money spent on grandchildren. So if you have benefited from that or you're still benefiting from a grandparent taking time out to give money your way, then good on you. I told you in our previous hour, and not to get too personal, but one of the cool things my grandmother did, and my grandfather was still alive, so i got to give both of them credit, but going back to my early childhood, she kept the little small Cokes in her refrigerator. So every time I'd go up to her house, which was only a half mile away from where I grew up, every time I'd walk up there, run up there, ride the bike, ride the motorcycle or four-wheeler or whatever I might have had at the time, uh, I would go inside that house, and the first thing I'd do is I'd head to that refrigerator, and I'd get me a delicious ice-cold small Coke bottle. And that was a reward for going to see my grandparents, Ma and Daddy-O. And uh, that's a great memory from my childhood. My other grandmother, great memory from her, is she made the best, not peach cobbler, but peach pie that I've ever had in my life. And I'll never forget those peach pies that she made. And my grandfather on that side was was a hoot. He was my first grandparent to die when I was about eight years old. He passed away. But, uh, his name was Slim, which uh, he and I have that in common. <laughs> that was his nickname. That's not what I called it. That wasn't his, his grandparent nickname was Pop, in case you're wondering. But the other cool thing I was going to tell you real quick about my paternal grandparents was they went way back when I was a little kid and evidently bought some stock in a local bank. And that local bank would sell out ultimately and sell out again and sell out again and the stock they bought was not very much at all but you know what some 40 to 50 years after they bought that stock I still have that and I still make a few hundred dollars a year from their decision to get some stock many many decades ago and my grandmother has been dead since 1999 and I get a dividend check from what's now truest bank every quarter I get a couple hundred dollars and it was all because of what she did over 40 years ago so my point of telling you that is not to let the IRS know this it's to tell you is a pretty cool gift you could do for your grandkids is to get some kind of stock like my grandparents did for me and more than 24 years after they've been deceased all of my grandparents have been dead since my grandma died in 1999 I still get those checks from her. I make more money off of my grandparents 
each year than I do off of my parents as a like Christmas gifts or, or birthdays or whatever. And it's not that much. I mean, if you total it up, it's less than five hundred dollars a year, I think. But still, what a great legacy that you can do that for your kids and years and years and years after you may be in the ground money can come into their bank accounts because of something you did today so just an idea just a pretty cool idea you could do or whatever you do would be appreciated but i i think that's pretty amazing because i don't know how you could set up like a phone call every year from the grave to remind your grand your your rotten grandkids how awesome you are as a grandparent so that's a, that's one way to do it is to get some stock and keep that stock going. All right, preply.com <laughs> has come out with the most popular grandparent nicknames in each southern state. And I want to tell you what they are, okay? For women, the most popular nicknames for grandmothers across the southeast, Granny, which was the name of one of my grandparents, it's popular in South Carolina. Yeah. It's popular. It's the number one choice in Tennessee, Kentucky, Louisiana, and Mississippi. Granny. Now, Grammy, with a M, is the most popular grandmother name in North Carolina, as well as Arkansas. Nanny is the most popular grandmother name in Oklahoma, while Nana is the number one choice in Georgia. Nana. And in Missouri as well. Crazy thing is, Texas and Florida's most popular grandmother name is Abuela. I guess that comes from Spanish. I don't know. And lo and behold, West Virginia, its number one choice for grandmother nickname is Grandmother. How formal can you be? I think Virginia and Idaho have that distinction of being the only states in the country that have Grandmother as the most popular grandparent nickname for, for the female. Come on, Virginia. Get a little bit more creative. But in a lot of the South, it's some variation of Granny or Grammy. I like Granny better. Grammy sounds like something you win at an award show. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the fellas. The most popular grandfather nicknames across the Southeast today. Number one, if I had to add it up, it's going to be close. But it looks like Papa is pretty popular. Papa is the number one choice for the grandfather nickname of Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and that's about it. The state of Missouri, show me Pop Pop. That's the number one grandfather nickname in the show me state, Pop Pop. I actually have never heard someone called Pop Pop. That's kind of cool, actually. Kudos, Missouri. The number one choice in a couple of states is Paul Paul. That's the number one choice for Kentucky and Mississippi. Paul Paul. Maw Maw didn't make the list on the female side. Paul Paul and Maw Maw. I, I hear that a lot. Number one choice in the state of Alabama is just a simple pop. Hey, pop. Pop. Yep, pop, pop. Not, not, I'm sorry. Not pop, pop, but just a singular pop is Alabama's choice. Abuelo is the number one choice in Florida. Once again, the Spanish connection there, making it number one for the father of the grand the grandfather nickname. Granddad is the number one choice of Georgia and South Carolina. Granddad. I that that can't be right. 
that can't. I mean, like I said, my granddaddy in South Carolina, I called him Daddy O. What a great name. The other one was called Pop, which would have fit right in if I were in Alabama. The choice of Tennessee also is Granddad. Granddad. Hey, Granddad, how you doing? I don't think so. Needs to be a little bit more affectionate. Oh, by the way, Pop Pop isn't just number one in Missouri. It's also North Carolina's favorite choice for a grandparent nickname. And Paul Paul is number one in both West Virginia and in Kentucky. So Paul Paul, Pop, 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 Papa, Paul Paul, and more. We love our grandparents, whether you're a, a Nana, a Pop Pop, or, or any of those choices. Happy Grandparents Day. Again, that is coming up on Sunday, and we are certainly blessed to have our grandparents in our lives if you still have them. And if you are one, just keep on spoiling. That's all. And, and don't leave out the kids. I know you got the grandkids, but somewhere, you know, don't forget about those, the middle, the people that that you had that ended up having those grandkids. Just a, just a friendly reminder. That wraps up Hour 2. We'll be right back with Hour 3 of the show that shakes the Southland, powered by y'all.com. This is the Y'all Show with John Rawl. Pop, pop. Final hour of this Wednesday edition of the Y'all Show is underway. Welcome back in. John Raw, the general of all things Southern. Glad to be back with you as we have an exciting hour. Not only do we have more headlines to pass along to you on this day, but we also have our Southern History Spotlight. A couple of big birthdays for Southerners on this date in history. Plus, it's Marquis de Lafayette's birthday. You can call him Lafayette. You can call him Lafayette. You can call him General Lafayette, as he's often called in parts of the South. Who was this Frenchman? His name's all over the Southeast. Why is that? We'll tell you about the general. Plus, on this birth, on this date in history, speaking of generals, the oldest Confederate general was born on this day in the 18th century, y'all. I'll tell you who this Virginian was, plus other famous birthdays. Some great singers with birthdays today. People like, oh, the guy that sang one of my most favorite country songs ever. The guy behind Too Cold at Home. Mark Chestnut's birthday is today. We've got info on the Beaumont, Texas native. All that's coming up in our Southern History Spotlight. Plus, before we get out of here today, it's football time in the Southeast. And we've got our Southern recipe of the day and courtesy of Bleacher Report, which is a, they do a great job with all their sports coverage. And from BleacherReport.com, we have the article, The 10 Best Tailgating Foods Ever. Yummy. And that's going to be featured before we get out of here on this Wednesday edition. Sounds like you need to stick around, don't you? Don't you think? I, I, I think so. If you want to be part of the Y'all Show couple of easy ways for you to do that the easiest way is to drop us an email 
Anytime you're available, mail, M-A-I-L, mail at Y-A-L-L.com. That is the Y'all Show email address. And then we have our text line open 24-7. That number, 615-208-4184. Let's quickly pick up some of the headlines of the day before we move over to some history and food talk for this final hour of our Wednesday show. So on Tuesday, the day after Labor Day, Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky, the North Alabama native, was in Congress as he spoke on the Senate floor, and his health episodes have been really scrutinized the last couple of weeks, especially after he froze. Did y'all see that video where he was speaking in Kentucky last week, and he literally just kind of sat there with his uh, deer-in-the-headlights look and ended up having to be an escorted off of the uh, platform that he had there in Covington, Kentucky. Well, Tuesday, McConnell's health episodes, according to experts, show no evidence of a stroke or seizure disorder, as a Capitol physician said in a statement, but it still leaves questions about the apparent freeze-ups that have drawn concerns about the 81-year-old Kentucky senator's health condition. Senator McConnell returned to work at the Capitol, the Senate minority leader, he and his office released a letter from attending physician Brian P. Monahan that were uh, co- addressing the concerns that the very veteran politician has had concerning his health. And walking into the Senate on Tuesday, McConnell answered no questions as he smiled at reporters, and he only made a passing reference to the incident during a speech in the chamber. His voice was a little bit muffled. He's in his 80s. Yes, and that brings the question... Should legislators, both senators and congressmen, join the president in having term limits? In fact, I saw some polling the other day that showed that around 85% of Democrats are in favor of term limits for congressmen and senators, and around 75 to 80% of Republicans polled also had the same feeling that they should have term limits. I I agree. I totally agree that we should have term limits. Now, going back to what the attending physician said on Tuesday concerning McConnell's health, Dr. Monahan wrote, There's no evidence that you have a seizure disorder or you experienced a stroke, TIA, or movement disorder such as Parkinson's. The doctor said the assessments entailed several medical evaluations, including a brain MRI imaging and consultations with several neurologists for comprehensive neurology assessment. Oftentimes, McConnell goes back to his native Louisville, Kentucky for medical treatment and such, and I'm assuming that's where they have some of these tests going on. It was in Kentucky, by the way, where the freeze-up happened just last week. Meanwhile, while McConnell's got his own health struggles, First Lady Jill Biden announced on Tuesday that she tested positive for COVID-19, President Joe Biden testing negative. Now, if you saw the video Tuesday, President Biden held a Medal of Honor ceremony at the White House for a Tennessee World War, or rather a Tennessee Vietnam veteran survivor, as that gentleman from Chattanooga received our nation's highest honor. And someone brought up to my attention, what in the world is Joe Biden doing with an oct- his fellow octogenarian when his wife's just been tested positive for COVID-19. Shouldn't they both be quarantined? Just like, remember the days where you had to be 
quarantined for like 10 days to two weeks. What are we doing here? And we keep hearing all this about the potential rise of COVID and more shutdowns coming. We sure hope that's not the case. But again, McConnell is definitely under the watchful eye of a attending physician. And frankly, he's under the watchful eye of a lot of people who are looking to possibly get him kicked out of office and have another person representing Kentucky in the United States Senate. Because right now, the balance is so fragile between Republicans and Democrats having the lead in our nation's United States Senate. Now, let's take you outside of the South for this next headline that came out on Tuesday. In Minnesota, a state commission has been challenged now to design a new state flag and a seal for the state of Minnesota. That's to replace the current emblem that is considered by some to be offensive to American Indians. One of the main elements of Minnesota's current state flag includes a prominent state seal against a blue background, and in that, the seal depicts an American Indian riding off into the sunset while a white settler plows his field with his rifle leaning on a nearby stump. The imagery suggests that the indigenous people were defeated and going away while whites won and were staying. And this comes to us from the southern state of Minnesota. Yeah, I thought Minnesotans were perfect, and they had all the moral high ground when they came against the south. No, 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 no. They have very offensive imagery, at least to American Indians, coming from that state well to the north, the more liberal state that it is the state of Minnesota. So not only do the states Dakota and Ojibwe tribes consider the flag and seal offensive, but experts in the scientific and scholarly study of flags, vexologists, of which I consider myself one of those, say the design that they currently have is a very complicated design. That's not really a reason to change it. A lot of flags are complicated, and it's been the flag, as far as I know, since 1957, when it was made that way an evolution from the original 1893 design for the state of Minnesota. But look for Minnesota to follow Mississippi as the next state likely to change its flag design as Mississippi back in 2020 under the auspices of a vote or a assembly held to distribute COVID funds Instead, it became a a called assembly to change the state flag in Jackson, and that's exactly what happened when they were tricked into voting for a new state flag. And it would not have happened if not for the Southern Baptist Convention getting involved and pushing a "in God we trust" message that went on the flag, and that caused several of the state legislators in Mississippi to change their vote, and they replaced the flag of Mississippi in 2020 that once had the Confederate battle flag in the canton of that state flag, but a flag that had been in place since 1894. And because of a Minnesotan, believe it or not, George Floyd, that's why the Mississippians went in because of this Minnesotan and changed their state flag in 2020. Now it's Minnesota's turn to likely change its state flag because of its so-called offensive symbolism and its state flag, especially toward American Indians. A judge in Georgia, a federal judge Tuesday, has now allowed Georgia to resume enforcing a ban on hormone replacement therapy for transgender people under the age of 18. 
Judge Sarah Garrity put her previous order blocking the ban on hold after a federal appeals court allowed Alabama to enforce a similar restriction. A three-judge panel of the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruled in the month of August that Alabama can implement a ban on the use of puberty blockers and hormones to treat transgender children. The 11th Circuit includes the state of Georgia. So again, this judge on Tuesday, Judge Garrity, has put her previous order blocking the ban on hold after this appeals court is allowing Alabama to enforce a similar restriction of hormone replacement therapy for transgender youth. Also out of the state of Alabama, judges have rejected Alabama's new congressional district map after lawmakers have excluded a second black majority district. A three-judge federal court previously noted that Alabama had one majority black district out of seven in a state where blacks are nearly a third of its population. And Alabama is now going to have to draft new congressional lines after these federal judges struck down the proposal Tuesday from Alabama lawmakers. More, more confusion. You would think to avoid these kind of tough, tough rulings by federal judges and to be complete waste of time, that there would be a pretty sensible plan put forward by Alabama legislators to show that the blacks will not be disenfranchised. If if blacks truly are 27% of the state of Alabama, that means they need to be in a fourth of the congressional districts, and you could even round up. Okay, so how many districts does Alabama have? Did I say nine? Nine congressional districts now in the state of Alabama? They need to at least be probably have two black majority districts in the state of Alabama. I can figure that part out. And evidently the judges can too. More legal news from South Carolina this time. Alec Murdoch. He's requested a new trial in an explosive motion that he filed in the state capital of Columbia. And in this filing on Tuesday, Murdoch alleges that the court clerk tampered with jurors so she she could secure a book deal. He's accusing Colleton County, South Carolina Circuit Court Clerk Rebecca Hill of this, she's penned the memoir Behind the Doors of Justice, The Murdoch Murders. That hit bookstores August 1st. What is this lady doing writing a book? That's a good question. And I'm not sure Murdoch's not totally wrong in trying to at least muddy the waters here. Here, And according to Murdoch, Rebecca Hill pressured jurors to reach a quick verdict and had frequent private conversations with the jury foreperson to sway the panel toward a guilty verdict. That, according to Murdoch's attorneys, Jim Griffin and Dick Harputlian, they wrote this in the filing that was put forward on Tuesday. The filing also says that Miss Hill did these things to secure for herself a book deal and media appearances that would not happen in the event of a mistrial. Miss Hill betrayed her oath of office for money and fame. The 55-year-old Alec Murdoch sentenced in March to two life terms to run consecutively as he was found guilty for gunning down his 52-year-old wife, Maggie, and their 22-year-old son, Paul, murdering them in June of 2021. So more drama, and in this case, 
Alec Murdoff on the offensive going up against an official there in Colleton County in South Carolina. Mark Meadows on Tuesday, he and five others pled not guilty to the Georgia election interference case as Meadows, the former North Carolina congressman, then Trump's chief of staff in the last year or so of Trump's presidency, Meadows and the others facing RICO charges in the Fulton County election interference case against Donald Trump. And again, Meadows saying that he's not guilty. He, as well as former Trump campaign attorney John Eastman, former Justice Department official Jeffrey Clark, former Georgia State GOP Chairman David Schaefer, State Senator Sean Steele, and former Coffee County GOP Chair Kathleen Latham, each waived their arraignments in addition to entering their pleas according to court documents from Tuesday. So far, 18 of the 19 defendants charged in the Fulton County case have entered not guilty pleas. The last remaining defendant, former Coffee County election official Misty Hampton, will be arraigned in person today. And if she does not enter a plea and waive her arraignment beforehand, if that's the case there. But this guy, Mark Meadows, he's got pretty good legal counsel as he's the one that first came out with the idea to move this case away from Georgia into federal court. And the latest tactic, legal move from Meadows' team is to plead not guilty in the election interference case ongoing in the state of Georgia, specifically in Fulton County. To Oxford, Mississippi, and there will be an event coming up at Greenfield Farm, which is owned by the University of Mississippi, and... On September 17th, nine artists from across the Magnolia State will go to Greenfield Farm. Why? Because this farm used to be owned by a guy named William Faulkner. It was his mule farm. And there, these artists are going to go to William Faulkner's estate east of Oxford. I think this is on Highway 30 going toward New Albany, a town of which William Faulkner also has connections to. And then further up the road from New Albany, you got Ripley. Ripley, Mississippi, which is where he was born, I think. He was either born in Ripley or New Albany. They're only miles apart from each other. But most of his adult life was spent in Oxford, where he was once the postmaster on the campus of the University of Mississippi. But these artists are going to gather September 17th, and they'll gather to convert the land into a writer's residency. That's what the university plans to do with Greenfield Farm and these writers these artists, rather, are coming in for a painting competition. And it's going to be a really cool thing. And as a guy who spent a lot of time in Lafayette County, Mississippi, I've heard about this Greenfield Farm, but evidently it's been under lock and key. And the university's kind of kept it hidden away because it's not connected to the main campus there in Oxford. And it's a little beautiful slice of Lafayette County where this is located, Greenfield Farm. So maybe, just maybe, This will be a new tourist attraction to see the mule farm of William Faulkner, the great writer and Nobel Prize winner from Mississippi, who certainly goes down as one of the South's greatest literary minds. And you'll have a chance here if you're one of the selected participants in this upcoming plain air painting, if you will. There's going to be a $1,000 grand prize for the artist that comes and does the best job of 
painting the scenery there because it will become part of the farm's permanent collection at Greenfield Farm. Again, artists from Mississippi encouraged to enter the competition to go to Greenfield and paint the landscape of William Faulkner's Mule Farm, and that's coming up here within days. And lastly, from the Nashville area, if you've ever been to Loveless Cafe, it's been a couple of decades since I went there, but boy, was it awesome. Just off the Natchez Trace, where the Natchez Trace has its terminus off of Highway 100 west of Nashville. But yes, how about this story coming to us as a National Biscuit Month story. The Loveless Cafe is going to be bringing back the Golden Biscuit. And that is one heck of a deal. Here's how it works. You go to any participating locations and purchase a Loveless Cafe Biscuit Mix. They sell this, in Tennessee at least, the Loveless Cafe Biscuit Mix. You go to a participating location that has that on sale, and you receive a special Golden Biscuit Chocolate Bar Open the chocolate bar and look for the prize ticket, and you can go and get your free deal. Win free Loveless Cafe Biscuits for a year because the Golden Biscuit Competition is back, and that starts now, and all to celebrate National Biscuit Month. Get your free biscuit. Some of the locations, by the way, I've got the breakdown of where Loveless Cafe's biscuit mix is sold. L&L Market. The factory at Franklin, these are at the Made in Tennessee stores. They're also located in Green Hills at White's Mercantile, Murfreesboro at Country Gourmet, all in the Nashville area. Bordable 615 in Dixon is a location, and Mount Juliet Sister Whimsy is some of the the places that have the Loveless Cafe biscuit mix that you can get anytime. And then if you're lucky enough, you might win... That free deal, Loveless Cafe Biscuits for a year. Yummy. What a great, great plan. A good place if you ever are in Nashville. It's about a 25-minute drive from downtown, but well worth it. Pure Tea, Tennessee is the Loveless Cafe. And that concludes our news headlines for this hour of the Y'all Show. Hang on. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we will move over to our Southern History Spotlight for this Wednesday We've got some big birthdays to tell you all about, plus a race riot in South Carolina in this week in history, and it was a few years after the Civil War. Why did that happen? I'll explain as we continue on the show that shakes the Southland. We want to hear you here at Super Talk 93.1 on shows like The Y'all Show, The Patriot Pastor, and The Frankie Lack Show. We've got a text line that you can text us and participate in the program. That number is 731-410-7560. And the Super Talk 93.1 text line is powered by See Me Tree Service. They are a West Tennessee-based company, and they will help you with any of your tree removal problems, tree trimming, tree elevation, pruning, tree topping, stump grinding, and more. They're a small family-owned business that's licensed and insured, and you can call See Me Tree Service for a free estimate. Call them at 731-617-2236. See Me Tree Service. For all of your tree removal or tree issues going on, give them a call for that free estimate. 731-617-2236. See Me Tree Service. Powering the Super Talk 93.1 text line.
watching the sun bake All of those tourists covered with oil Strumming my six string On my front porch swing Smell those shrimp there Arguably the most commercial and most recognized of Jimmy Buffett's songs as the South and Parrothead Nation continues to mourn the passing of Buffett, who died on September 1st. We're back on the Y'all Show. Time now for some history as we kind of start winding down our Wednesday edition. And we've got some birthdays of note from the South as well as some big events that happened on this date in Southern history. We first start off with the fact that today marks what would have been the birthday of General Lafayette, or you could call him General Lafayette, as Marquis de Lafayette, born September 6, 1757, over in France. And of course, if you know anything about Revolutionary War history, he participated in the American Revolution, fighting in the Continental Army and helping out the United States in its struggle for independence. As he became convinced that the American Revolutionary cause was noble and he traveled to America and was made a major general at the age of 19. He was wounded during the Battle of Brandywine, fought in the Battle of Rhode Island, ended up going to France to get support for the Patriots movement, came back to America in 1780 and fought again in the Continental Army. In 1781, Lafayette's troops under his command in Virginia blocked forces led by Cornwallis until American and French forces combined could position themselves for the decisive siege of Yorktown. And after that, the British surrendered and the war came to an end. And the true American hero was this Frenchman, Marquis de Lafayette, born on this date in 1757, he would live until the year 1834. And he is the reason so many places in the South bear his name from cities to counties to streets. He was known as the hero of the two worlds for his accomplishments in the service of both France and the United States because prior to being in the U.S., he served, his allegiance was to the Kingdom of France. And then in the republics of France following his return back to that country. He served and fought for the French nation, his native land, but a true hero of both Europe and North America, Marquis de Lafayette, Lafayette, as we say in some of the South. Happy birthday, sir. Also born in the state in 1797, Extra Billy born on this day. Who was Extra Billy? That would be William Extra Billy Smith, a lawyer, congressman, and the 30th and 35th governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia. He was born 
on this date in Marengo. That's in King George County, Virginia. It's where you'll find that town. And one of the other notable things about Extra Billy was he, at the time of his appointment in January of 1863, when he was 65 years old, retirement age, Extra Billy became an extra special military officer as he was the oldest Confederate general to hold field command in the war between the states. How would you like to be under the command of a brand new 65-year-old general? Well, that is exactly what General William Extra Billy Smith was in service to the Confederate States of America. A guy that, again, was born just a few years after the American Revolution and went on to serve in the Confederate Army. He fought at the Battle of Fairfax Courthouse, Bull Run. He was in command at the Second Battle of Bull Run, as well as Sharpsburg, and he even fought at Gettysburg in 1863, Extra Billy Smith. And during that important battle in Virginia, in, in Pennsylvania, rather, in 1863, his Virginians and other Confederate troops there fighting that day against Brigadier General George S. Green at Culp's Hill. And Smith was the only general not commended in Early's official report as a result he resigned his commission just a few days later. He nevertheless received an essentially an honorary promotion to Major General and then Inspector General after his return to Virginia. He returned to his estate, Monta Rosa, near Warrington, Virginia, and got back into farming. At the age of 80, Extra Billy Smith became a member of the Virginia House of Delegates before his death and burial in Richmond in 1887. He died at age 89. A guy from history you might not have heard of, William Smith, a.k.a. Confederate General Extra Billy Smith, born on this date in history. Another person of note that was born on this date in history, before I get back to telling you about some of the other events that happened on this date, Jimmy Reed was born on this date in 1925, the blues musician and songwriter. He had a very unique style of electric blues and was a pioneer. He had songs such as Honest I Do, Baby What Do You Want Me To Do, Big Boss Man. That's a great song. 1961 was the year for that one. And he appeared on both Billboard Magazine's R&B and Hot, One single, Hot 100 Singles Charts. The Dunleith, Mississippi native, Jimmy Reed, born on this date in history in 1925. He died at age 50 in 1976 out in California. Happy birthday, Jimmy Reed. Now, let me tell you about some of the events that happened on this date before I get back to some birthdays. It was this week in history that the South Carolina Civil Disturbances of 1896 began. And these were a series of race riots and civil unrest more than 10 years after the Civil War. And they involved the Democratic Party's political campaign to take back control from the Republicans, primarily through the paramilitary Red Shirts, led by Wade Hampton at that time. And part of the plan of the civil disturbances of the Palmetto State in 1876, this was, I won't say KKK, but similar in their effort 
Their plan was to disrupt Republican political activity and suppress black voting, particularly in counties where populations of whites and blacks were close to equal. And you had a lot of unrest. There was a an event around the same time in Hamburg, which is modern-day North Augusta, South Carolina, and there was a riot there that many people lost their lives in. So it was in this, the Hamburg Massacre, this is what I was trying to come up with. That happened as part of that event. And it was on this date, September 6th, 1876, in Charleston, that a black Democratic club held a meeting on King Street. And there, after that, there was a riot that broke out. And a lot of violence. And there were other events that went on for the rest of the year. Look it up sometime, the civil disturbances of just one southern state, in this case South Carolina, 11 years after the American Civil War. You probably didn't learn about that in history. Also on this date, sadly, the 25th president of the United States was mortally wounded, William McKinley, while campaigning, or maybe just, I think he might have been just speaking in Buffalo, New York, was shot. He would eventually die on the 14th of September. At age 58, the Ohio native assassinated in 1901, and it was on this date in 1901 that he was shot in the Buffalo, New York area at an exposition there is where what led him to go to that event. And an anarchist named Leon Kregols is the one who mortally wounded him on this date in 1901. It was on this date in 1916, a little place called Memphis is where Piggly Wiggly became the first self-service grocery store in the world, as it opened up at 79 Jefferson Avenue in Memphis by Clarence Saunders. A replica of the original store has been constructed in the Memphis Pink Palace Museum and Planetarium, and that was once a mansion that Saunders built as his private residence later sold to the city of Memphis. Piggly Wiggly, with its founding on this date in in September 6, 1916, Piggly Wiggly sadly is now based in Keene, New Hampshire, and even more sad, less than 500 stores bear the Piggly Wiggly name in the southeast today. Not many left, but there are a few. I love them when I see them. It's a flashback to most of our past because... If you're a good Southerner somewhere, probably not too far from you, you had a Piggly Wiggly growing up. Unfortunately, so many Piggly Wigglies have sold out to bigger grocery stores, and they've kind of changed. But not long ago, I happened to be in a Piggly Wiggly, and they had their great logo shirt logos available <laughs> that you could buy the Piggly Wiggly t-shirt. And I love that. I love it, love it, love it. It looks like in the South... I'm looking at a map right now of Piggly Wiggly locations. The state that has more than any, Alabama. And then the states of Mississippi, Georgia, and the Carolinas have between 50 and 100 locations in each of those states. And what's even more disturbing is it looks like Tennessee, where Piggly Wiggly started. You only got about 50 or less locations in the volunteer state. I don't know if there's a single one in Memphis. That's sad, y'all. Sad, sad, sad. 
What's also sad is Mr. Baby's Got a Blue Jeans On guy, Mel McDaniel, born on this date in 1942, and Mel died in 2011. The country music singer was born in Chicata, Oklahoma. He was a big country music singer back in the 1980s with those hits like Baby's Got a Blue Jeans On, Stand Up, Louisiana, Saturday Night. They play that on a Saturday night in Death Valley. Sure do. Country music singer Mel McDaniel, born on this date in history. We lost him at the age of 68 in 2011. Also born on this date, we have the birth of Carly Fiorina. Remember her? She ran for president in 2016. She was born in Austin, Texas. She had a lot of traction until Donald Trump made fun of her looks. And then she got to be on the anti-Trump train. And it was not a good scene going forward for her. And it really wasn't a good look for President Trump. She may be part of the reason the suburban women really can't stand him. But Carly Fiorina born Carly, actually born Kara Carlton Sneed. September 6, 1954, And she got that name early in her life. Her father was a professor at the University of Texas School of Law. She's a very smart lady, a businesswoman, financier, and more. Stanford alum. Carly Fiorina is today 69 years young. Happy birthday to that lady. A guy with a birthday today is now officially eligible for retirement. Happy retirement to Jeffrey Marshall Foxworthy. You might be of retirement age if you're Jeff Foxworthy. (laughs) He was born in Atlanta on this date in history, the Georgia Tech alumnus, and the great guy behind you might be a redneck if. A fantastic Southerner. Happy birthday, Jeff Foxworthy. Also a birthday today, Happy birthday to Mark Chestnut, the country music singer born in the Beaumont, Texas area on this date in history. Happy 60th birthday to Mark Chestnut, who's had songs, big songs like Brother Jukebox. It sure is Monday. I just wanted you to know it's a little too late in my favorite. And a personal note, one of the only songs I've ever called nonstop to request on the radio when they had a contest of the top song of the day it was mark chestnut's 1990 debut too cold at home it's too hot to fish too hot for golf and too cold at home what a song from mark chestnut and lastly celebrating a birthday today uk fans stand up it's john not raw john wall's birthday The point guard that once played for the Kentucky Wildcats then went on to play in the NBA. He's been playing for a while with the Wizards, Rockets, and the L.A. Clippers most recently. A five-time NBA All-Star. And back in 2010 when he was at UK, the SEC Player of the Year. He played high school ball in North Carolina for Garner High School, and he was born in Raleigh on this day in 1990 happy 33rd birthday to john born jonathan hildred wall jr john wall happy birthday sir and keep those buckets a coming 
I don't know if he's actually signed up for the upcoming NBA season or not. Of course, that gets going here pretty darn soon. But most recently with the Clippers in the last NBA season, he may be considering a little break from the game at his age. But happy birthday, John Wall, the hoopster and a multi-NBA all-star guy during his tenure in the NBA, uh, should I say, association. And that wraps up our Southern History Spotlight for hour number three. When we come back, we're going to wrap up the show all together as we're going to have our Southern recipe of the day. College football is back. And in celebration of that, we've got the 10 best tailgating foods ever, courtesy of BleacherReport.com. Come with an empty stomach because you're going to be craving what we have to talk about when the Y'all Show concludes right after this. Smart observation from Appalachian State superfan Luke Combs. You're not going to have your heart broken with beer, Luke, but those Mountaineers just might break your heart. In fact, the Nears with the game this week in Chapel Hill, they're taking on the North Carolina Tarials. Remember last year in Boone, UNC nearly pulled off the big upset over what we know now as a very good North Carolina football team under the direction of Mac Brown. Speaking of college football and more, we've got to wrap up this Wednesday Y'all Show. Some food and football to talk about as BleacherReport.com has just penned an article. The top 10 best tailgating foods ever. I mean ever. And we're going to walk through some of these great suggestions from BleacherReport.com. How about the breakfast of champions? A lot of these football games in college have early starts. And the breakfast of champions, they don't exactly tell us what that is. Could be a combination of pizza from the previous evening. But it's a choice here for you to consider on game days. How about the ultimate nachos as a choice for the top 10 best tailgating foods ever? Another one is a wholesome turducken in honor of John Madden. And the turducken, that sounds like a great choice. I would push that back till Thanksgiving time, y'all. Bleacher Report, are you listening? Next up is the crock-pot pulled pork is a great tailgating food. Yes, I could not agree more. In most places, you can go in there with your 30 to 40 minutes of reheating of that crock-pot and get it ready for the tailgate. Perfect, perfect combination on game days. 
How about the burger? 32 ounces of sirloin, 12 strips of bacon, and four large eggs. He's, he calls this the Vortex Coronary Bypass Burger. It's a special burger he talks about in this article. You also have listed here the Grandiose Chili as one of the top 10 best tailgating foods ever from BleacherReport.com. You know, chili on game days, especially as it gets a little cooler, makes for a great combination. And even better than the tailgating food before the game is you go out, you cheer your team on to victory, and then you get to come back to the tailgate. You're letting the traffic die down, and you get to enjoy some food once again. And something like chili would be perfect for a game day victory tailgate. Absolutely. And kind of going along with the chili, how about this choice, Sloppy Joe's for the tailgate? Mmm, yes. Love, love, loves me some Sloppy Joe's. And also, according to Bleacher Report, they know their stuff here. They've got listed as one of the top 10 best tailgating foods ever, Memphis-style ribs. You know, these are not the ones that are just doused in sauce. It's a dry rub, and it's great because you don't have to have barbecue sauce stuck on your fingers all day long memphis check it out memphis style ribs look if you are able to in your grocery store get the rendezvous brand i am a big fan of charlie virgo's rendezvous sauce and it's awesome and it's perfect for game days the last on this bleacher report article is shrimp wrap with bacon as one of the top 10 best tailgating foods ever i don't personally recommend shrimp on game days because i'm not sure what your refrigeration setup there is going to be at your tailgate but i bet you you got a nice cooler full of your favorite cold beverages and sure enough if you have a little bit of a a grill option you can grill these for 10 to 15 minutes and get the right christmas and surf and turf to perfection all you want on game days you can check this article out at bleacherreport.com it's the top 10 best tailgating foods ever from zach pomerantz who penned the article and friends that is, on this week where we got college football, a great way to wrap things up here on the Wednesday Y'all Show. Thank you so much for being a part of the fun. When we come back on Thursday's Y'all Show, we'll have more Southern greatness. We'll have all the news from Nashville as part of our Nashville Music Line report. We'll get you ready for game day. We've got NFL games Thursday as well as college football back in the southeast, plus our look at festivals going on. All that on the Thursday edition. Until that time, you can find podcasts of this show at y'all.com, the South's homepage. John Rawl signing off. Thanks for listening, y'all. Y'all.